ghost stories are fairly common. In fact, like opinions and, well, other things, I think we all have one. Whether we believe in them or not, we all have that one tale, that one story that sticks with us, that resonates with us, that makes us say, maybe. I'm lucky that I get to hear those stories almost every day. They range in depth and detail. Some are handed down, some are freshly minted. All of them, though, carry with them that question of, who was it? Of course, the vast majority of stories that I hear are related to family business. That is, the spirit in question is identified as a beloved family member who has died but has returned for a visit, or on far rarer occasions, an unpleasant relative from the past returning to bring with him or her misery and visit it upon his descendants. That and children seeing shadow figures make up the bulk of my days. We'll talk about shadow figures on another talk. Point is, of course, is that haunting is a personal business. Despite the vast numbers of films made about haunted houses, I have found this to very rarely be the case. Generally, it's the person and not the place that is haunted. And haunted might be an overstatement in many cases. Most stories that I hear come to me firsthand. People who've had the experience come to me directly. They want to talk about it. They want to see me nod or question them or validate them. And I usually do all three because why wouldn't I? I wasn't there, and so I take people at their word. One thing that has always vexed me, however, is just how quickly people identify their ghosts. That is to say they assign a name, a life, a purpose to a creaky floorboard or a loose door jam. It was my grandmother. She always walked across the kitchen. One thing that has always vexed me, however, is just how quickly people can identify their ghosts. They assign a name, a life, a purpose to a creaky floorboard or a loose door jam. It was my grandmother. She always walked across the kitchen at exactly 11 p.m., they might say. They might be right. Maybe she did do that. But how do they know that it's her footsteps that they hear? How do they know? We make a lot of assumptions about ghosts and hauntings. We are prepped to be afraid, and we are prepped even to enjoy being afraid. I have a rule at Paranormal. If someone comes in looking for an investigation in October, I tell him or her to come back in November. If they're still haunted after Halloween, it may be worth my time to check it out. They very rarely return. The thing about being in a haunted place is that you come to realize just how subtle the activity is. It's only with the fullness of time that you come to see patterns. Only through years of knowing a place, learning its ins and its outs, the weak floorboard, the spot that's always just a little bit colder than every place else, the way the autumn wind hits a window pane in just such a way. Only through that education can you come to understand and to question the strange and anomalous things that happen. As I said before, it's usually a person and not a place that's haunted. After all, we have the energy. We have the purpose and the baggage to attract and possess each other. Spirits, if they exist, are people, right? They're simply people without a body. I would imagine that much of the us part of them stays. The emotion, the fear, the anxiety... Happiness, joy, silliness, etc., etc. The idea that death fundamentally changes a person just doesn't make sense to me. 
It fundamentally changes a person's condition and situation, certainly, but not who they are. I would say if you were a wonderful person in life, you're a wonderful person in death. And I would say if you were a jerk in life, you're going to be a jerk in death. Unless and until you find cause to change. Now your perspective might change. That I can see. People who live can change, and so they must be able to change after death. But the act of dying itself, that will not change them. It's part of a much larger process, in my view. Whenever I hear or read a ghost story, whether told by a professional or an amateur, they always seem to have a very good idea of just who is doing the haunting. They take what people are experiencing, say footsteps in the attic, and they spin a yarn that makes those footsteps make sense. For instance, an illness that forced a beautiful young woman to be quarantined in the attic, where her only entertainment was pacing the floor back and forth, whiling away the hours while consumption ate away her lungs or madness, her brain, or some other such thing. Even better, if there is some real historic event that can be traced to that attic. Perhaps it was a nursery at one time, or part of the Underground Railroad. Why, those things would explain the footsteps nicely. Still, I resist such explanations. They may well be true. But they may not be true. And after 150 years of history, might not some other more mundane footsteps linger? Some nondescript, boring footsteps? Someone going to get milk, perhaps? Or looking out the window to see if the mail has arrived? I don't even argue that they're not paranormal. I'll accept that they're paranormal. I'll accept that they're ghosts. I just can't accept that we know their identity so easily. It's finicky and it's difficult, I know, and yet it feels important to me. And this is the part where I tell you a story that's pretty much the opposite of what I've just said. For I have spent nine years in a haunted place. When I opened Paranormal Books and Curiosities in 2008, it came about with no small measure of synchronicity. Were I a less skeptical-minded person, I would have thought the space was selected for me, or me for the place. For after months of looking for a location to put what I was then calling the House of Spirits, I had found nothing. In fact, I had found less than nothing. For even my realtor was so uninspired by my proposed business that he invariably would inform me, now, that place would be way too much for you to swing every month, without even sharing a number with me. It seems landlords don't have as much vision as an entrepreneur such as myself would wish. I wasn't discouraged in the least about my idea, but I was becoming frustrated. Finally, I conceded that Asbury Park was not the place for me. Despite being very much in the early stages of revitalization and desperate for new businesses, I could not find a home for mine. In February of 2008, I attended a meeting of the Chamber of Commerce, and I was driving home incredibly frustrated. They were redoing the streets throughout the town, and I was finding it impossible to get out of Asbury Park. At every turn, I found an absurd detour, until finally I found myself back on Cookman Avenue. And just as I thought I was going to escape, just as I thought I was going to make a left and head over the border into the safety of Ocean Grove, I find myself once again on the 600 block of Cookman Avenue. A sign above 627 unfurled. 
A man on a ladder was fixing one side to the building, and the other had been caught by the wind. For rent, it said. Hmm, I thought. I wonder. I pulled over and peeked into the windows. It was a large orange building with excellent frontage. I could see very little of the inside, and the man putting up the sign merely shook his head when I asked if the place was open for viewing. Trying the door, I saw that it was open, and I stepped into a chaotic scene. The previous shop owner was desperately trying to get his goods out before the last day of the month, which was the next day. Excuse me, is this place for rent? I asked. I received another shrug, and then I heard a loud voice from the back room, somewhat urgent and somewhat shrill. It's available! And a woman rushed toward me. Ah, the landlord, no doubt. Needless to say, I took the place, and in June of 2008, Paranormal Books and Curiosities opened doors. The name change was last minute and sudden, and yet I have never regretted it, for it far more completely represents what we do and who we are. We are paranormal. I cannot say that I immediately sensed that the shop was different. I mean, I knew what we were offering was different. We looked different. But I was not experiencing anything out of the normal. Like most people, I grant my own experiences far greater weight than anyone else's. Other people might misinterpret things, but surely not me. So it was not unexpected when people began telling me they were seeing things in the shop. Ho-hum. Seeing a ghost in a paranormal shop, how unexpected. If this sounds condescending and arrogant, I must shamefacedly agree with you, because that's exactly how I felt and how I reacted. I mean, I respected people, and I nodded and said things like, well, who knows? But in my heart, I was sure that they were convincing themselves of things. A bit of self-fulfillment, perhaps. People do that. It isn't an insult... And it isn't rare. We have a tendency to see what we expect to see. And my shop is pretty paranormal looking. It would be a perfect place to be haunted. But it wasn't, or so I thought. It was curious that people reported seeing the same thing, though. And as time went by, months, then a year, then the start of another, it was very curious that what people claimed to see was almost always the same thing and in the same place. Stranger still, I had come to notice things happening myself, but I was loath to consider them truly unusual. All that changed in 2009 when I opened the museum. For those of you who don't know, the Paranormal Museum opened its doors in November of 2009. All that changed in 2009 when I opened the museum. For those of you who don't know, the Paranormal Museum opened its doors in November of 2009 as a way of showcasing the strange memorabilia, artifacts, and items I had collected or been given through the years. It was a way to tell their stories, to show the depth and the breadth of the study of paranormal. We have a 5,000-year timeline. We have haunted dolls, relics from haunted locations, etc., and all of these things have stories, and all of them are unique. All of these things have stories, and all of them are unique and special to me. Now, November in Asbury Park in 2009 might as well have been New Year's Eve on Antarctica. It was quiet and empty. Once the summer crowds left, the streets rolled up of their own accord and hibernated until spring. 
I was sitting in my office, well back from the street. The door was slightly ajar, and the store, the the shop and the museum were closed. I was sitting in my office, which was in the back of the museum, well away from the street. The door to my office was slightly ajar, and I was facing it. Now, I should mention that there isn't a straight line or an unsloped floor in the entire place. The place itself is over 110 years old. This doorway, however, was an exception. It was hung perfectly, and when the door was open, it stayed open, unless one closed it. As I sat at my desk, lost in my schedule, trying to fill up my days until April, I heard what could only be described as tiny, urgent, definitive footsteps. I have 21 nieces and nephews, and I have played my fair share of professional grade hide-and-go-seek, and I recognize those footsteps as a fairly rambunctious 8- to 10-year-old. Certainly not trying to maintain, certainly not trying to remain hidden, and very, very close to my desk. So close, in fact, that I stopped what I was doing and sat still, moving only my eyes to the location my ears has pit, had pit, moving only my eyes to the location that my ears had pinned as the location of my guest. Of course, I saw nothing. Nothing, that is, until the door in front of me slowly opened all the way moving steadily, and then it came to a stop. I sat still. Hello? I asked loudly, unwilling to believe that there was no person, no living person, causing this. Nothing, no response, until the floor slowly, until the door slowly moved back to its original position, and I heard the unmistakable relentlessly unnerving tinkle of a child's laughter just behind my right ear. Playful but powerful. I swallowed hard. I was, as my mother would have said, completely stomached. My innards twisted in confusion and abject fear, not because I felt threatened, but because everything inside of me screamed, This is impossible. But of course it was not impossible. It was just a ghost. And this was the first of many, many experiences with our resident. In time, I came to accept that there was indeed a personality that resided in the shop. We called him Jeremy. We have heard his voice. We've even captured it on tape. I have even on one occasion put my hand upon him. In nine years, I have come to know his habits, and he has, no doubt, come to know mine. People who visit us see him far more frequently than I do, but perhaps that's because I no longer need to, to know that he is there. I've never been afraid since that first day. I've seen him move things. I've had lights turn on, turn off, turn back on when they've just been shut off. I've gotten phone calls from the police department because movements have been seen within. I even had someone break their foot because they felt a child hold them around their legs. The shock of it caused them to fall. But Jeremy isn't dangerous. He isn't anything except a person who likes to hang out with us. I know who he is to us, but I don't know who he is. In fact, I don't know if he is a he at all. The voice we captured certainly sounds young, but either male or female. There's no evidence that a child died in this location, but that really means nothing. Living as much as death is responsible for haunting. 
Yet, I do feel a childlike presence around the shop. I've heard unmistakable footsteps and seen the flash of movement and felt the familiar touch of a small hand. In December, we're moving to a new location. It's very close by, within spitting distance, as someone might say. And I worry that this little creature, person, this little friend, won't come with us. And yet I feel rather certain that he will. I don't think he's stuck within the walls of the building. I think he comes and he goes as he pleases. He chooses where he haunts. The person, not the place, perhaps. Perhaps. And if that's the case, then I offer myself to be haunted, and I look forward to many more years with our Jeremy. Even as I wrote this out this week, we have felt and heard his presence. A shrine of sorts has been set up in the back of the shop, where people leave things for him. Toys, coins, trinkets. As I was closing up this week, I shut off the light in the back room, and I made my way towards the front of the shop. Just as I was leaving, the lights in the front room turned themselves back on. Now this has happened three times in nine years, and I am at a loss to explain it. As I returned to the wall to shut them off, I heard something drop to the floor in the back room. When I investigated, I found that Jeremy's horse, the first toy left for him by a kind stranger, had fallen off of its bench. Again, I can't explain it. It's been there for years. I'm sure there are many explanations that might just seem reasonable enough to explain it. Perhaps. Still, as I left, I said, Good night, Jeremy. I'll be back tomorrow. As I put the horse back on its bench and moved to shut the front lights. Perhaps I was talking to thin and empty air. But perhaps. Perhaps I was not. <laughs>